0: Father, we're grateful, not for work, we love work. Thank you that our minds work, our, our hands write, and we think, and tongues speak, and products are produced, and companies grow, profits are made, people are paid. We, we thank you for work, but Lord, this is, this is work with immeasurable joy. Thank you that I would get to preach this message again and I would love to do it again and again. So thank you for bringing people to hear. Lord, you, you awoken, awoken this morning in their houses. Enable their cars to work. And you brought them and We thank you for the church gathered, protected, on the way to heaven. For certain will arrive because of Christ. Thank you we get to celebrate Your son, oh God, we owe everything to Jesus, everything to him. Jesus, thank you for all the things you did this week behind the scenes to keep our salvation secure, all the prayers that you lifted up for us, all the angels you sent, the providences that you arranged that we would meet the right people and we would be prevented from disaster and we would walk into blessing And for the pain that you ask us to endure, you were and are sufficient. Thank you just for the privilege of being able through music and teaching to say thank you. And we ask that you would bring somebody else into the family of faith today. You would give them the ability to believe the gospel. They would stand beneath the waterfall of your grace, beneath the cleansing flow of your blood, and say, I need Christ. I want Christ. I welcome you, Jesus. Would you give them the ability to, and the hunger to say that? That you love them. That's why you brought them here, to say that. Now, Lord, for the rest of the service, we ask for the power of the Holy Spirit would fall like rain is falling on the building. Would the Holy Spirit fall upon our hearts and change us and send us out? In Jesus' name, amen. In 1892, a federal immigration station opened on the banks of the Hudson River near New York City Harbor. Its name was Ellis Island. Prior to uh, this opening of Ellis Island, all immigration was handled on a a state basis instead of federal basis. The first immigrant to be processed at Ellis Island was Annie Moore, a 15-year-old girl from Cork, Ireland. She arrived here on the ship Nevada. January 1st, 1892. Before it was closed in 1954, Ellis Island welcomed over 12 million uh, immigrants. And it's estimated that 40% of all people that are alive in the United States today can trace one or more of their ancestors to those who arrived on Ellis Island. Every immigrant that sailed into New York City Harbor was greeted by one of the greatest pictures of freedom in the history of the world, the Statue of Liberty. It's a copper statue that stands on a granite base. It rises 305 feet into the air, and it features a woman. She's clad in robes and wearing a a crown and standing on top of a broken chain. One hand is a, a torch, and another hand is the Declaration of Independence. And beneath her feet, inside, written by Emma Lazarus, is a poem called The New Colossus. This is what welcomed all those immigrants. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest tossed, to me. What a picture! Seaworthy vessel sailing across perilous oceans, arriving in a safe harbor, welcoming people to a new land and a new beginning. And I'm so grateful to be a part of a nation that extends itself to these weak and weary from around the world. And may God give wisdom and courage to all political leaders who find themselves in an increasingly complex process to make this. Possible And while they figure all that out, what I'm really grateful for is the real statue of liberty. The cross of Jesus Christ standing on a hill called Golgotha to offer liberation from sin for any man or woman who would desire to spend their life serving God and eventually walking with a welcome sign into his eternal city. This is how Paul says it in Ephesians 2. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, peace to those who were near, for through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household. I don't know of a more beautiful paragraph in all of Scripture that offers hope to those who are spiritually lost and desolate and lonely than this passage in Ephesians because it proclaims the truth that sin divides, Christ unites, and the church includes. The one thing that every believer in this room has in common with every other believer, there's not a lot that always unites us. We're really different looking, different acting, different backgrounds. But the one thing that we all have in common is that we were separated from God. And now through Jesus Christ, we have peace with our Creator. Ephesians 2.17, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. The far and near language of verse 17 is more of Paul's play on words because there were people who were geographically near the religious center called the temple and there were those who were non-Jews who were geographically far away. So he said for those of you who were near religion, those of you who were far away from religion, none of you had peace with God didn't matter if you were near or far until Christ came and gave you peace with God. If you've been keeping count in Ephesians 2 of the past three weeks, this is the third time that we have encountered the word peace. Jesus is a reservoir of peace. I want to let you know right now, whatever pure, holy Adam of tranquility that is flowing in your body right now, whatever river of hope is flowing in your body, its source is found in heaven in the person of Jesus Christ. He is our peace. Verse 13, we saw three weeks ago in Christ, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. If you look at the the ministry of Jesus Christ, the proclaiming of His name, some of the biggest verses in the Bible talk in terms of what we're doing every Sunday is proclaiming peace. See that in the book of Acts chapter 10. Again, as Peter is preaching to a mixed crowd, they weren't alike in Cornelius' house. Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is. That God does not show favoritism. He's pursuing all. But accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Then, fortunately for us, he defines what is right. Because that could be opening up a can of worms. He closes the can of worms. This is what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is God over all the universe. And this is you talk about every Sunday whether it's Ronnie or Chris or Yako or Danny V whoever welcomes they always say that we're here to applaud God the Father Christ and live on mission. What is our mission? It's right here, announcing peace with God through Jesus Christ to all the world. We just had a mission team go to the Middle East. By God's grace, they came back. We have a dear brother right now, a retired dentist in our church, who's spending three months in South Asia. His job there is to announce peace to people who've never heard that peace with God is possible. The peace that Jesus Christ one for us is now to be announced to us. And there is not one place in this world, not one war torn country, not one strife filled city, not once, not one poverty overrun slum that is not starved to know it, is it possible to have peace in this world. But that's why we gather. Twice on Sunday. It's while we give, it's why we pray, it's why we built this thing. So we may go and be equipped to go and tell the world there's peace with God. So what does it mean to have peace with God? And that's pretty sounding. What does it mean to have peace with God? Well, fortunately, Paul tells us that. This is what it means. For through Him, through Christ, verse 18, we... Thank you, God, for turning off the water. For through Him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Access to God. This is not a time for me to teach a course on the Trinity, but I do want to let you know, unless you're just playing out stubborn, it's not hard to see evidences of the Trinity in Scripture. Never one word called the Trinity, but you'll see over and over again three persons, one God working together for our salvation. How beautiful it is here to see we are, through Jesus, we have access to the Father in heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, right there. Mystery solved. Is there a Trinity? Yes. So Christ, His part in the Trinity, die for our sins, the Holy Spirit's part in the Trinity, stir our hearts, open our eyes for affection, that we would see the beauty of Jesus. Somebody asked me this week, What's the number one thing you love about your wife? I said, I think because she overflows with gratitude, she loves God. So I think she would. I think the Holy Spirit has given her. It just overflows with gratitude. And I just broke rule number everything. She always says, "You gonna mention my name today?" No. Wasn't planning to. That was spontaneous love. Through Jesus, cross, we have access to God King by the energizing work of the Holy. Spirit, we have access to God. I hope today with all my heart you are thrilled by that word access. Prosagoge, if you're a Greek fan. It's only used three times in the New Testament, always in reference to having access to God. I hurt for you. If you can't celebrate today, you have access to the king of the world. The word prostagoga was always used in reference to a man who would tell somebody, you may enter the king's presence. Imagine the scene. You're outside the king's palace, gate closed. You're outside. You see the king inside lovely gardens and palace. King's inside. You would love to go inside. You have nothing to offer the king. You're poor. You're needy. You have nothing to offer the king. And all of a sudden, the prosagoge says you may enter. Gates are open. you got an appointment with the king. This is what Jesus does for you. On the cross, prayed for you before you came to service by the right hand of God so you can enter and be with the king of the universe, God our Father. Charles Simeon was one of the great... Expositors of Christian history lived from 1759 to 1836. He pastored in Cambridge, England. Same church, Holy um, Trinity Church in Cambridge. Pastored the same church for 54 years. Wow. I've been here 17. I'm like, I, I hope. I'm just thinking he had to use some reruns. I'm like, 54 years, you're out of stuff. Fifty-four years. But you can't preach about a Savior you don't know. And he didn't know a Savior when he was studying at Cambridge at the university when he was 19 years old. It was Easter, March 1779. They were about to participate in the Lord's Supper. He didn't know what a Lord's Supper was. So he started reading about it from a writer on campus. And this is what Charles Simeon happened as he was reading about the Lord's Supper. The thought came into my mind as I was reading, What? Is it possible that I can transfer all of my guilt to another? Has God provided an offering for me that I may lay my sins on His head? Well, then God willing, I will not bear them on my soul any longer. Accordingly, I sought to lay all of my sins upon the head of Jesus. That was Wednesday. I began to have the hope of mercy. Thursday and Friday, that hope grew. Friday and Saturday, it grew still stronger. And on Sunday morning, Easter day, April 4th, I woke up and shouted, Jesus Christ is risen today, hallelujah. From that hour, flowed a peace, an abundance of peace in my soul. And I went to the Lord's table and I ate and I had the sweetest access to God through my blessed savior. I pray today with all of my heart that you will follow the example and joy of Charles Simeon and lay your head, your sins upon the head and body of Jesus Christ. Let him open the gates and let so you can have ex- peace with God, access to God. Through Christ You have access to the God who desires to hear every burden on your heart and is able to bring hope to every circumstance in your life. But before we move on, I want to let you know who it is that's included in this access. You have access. So does somebody else. For through Him, we both have access. Not you. We. If anything Christianity is not, it's not a you religion. We'll look at that a lot next week. It's always we. Jesus didn't say, pray to your Father in heaven. He said, our Father in heaven. Always pray with we in mind. He died for we. You forget that, you're forgetting everything about the gospel. He died for both to have access to God. I told you, if you weren't here first two weeks, I'll tell you again, the we in this verse are Jew and Gentile. Just imagine anybody you want to pick opposite from each other, different from each other in every conceivable way. And for some reason, because of those differences, said we need to hate each other because of our differences, it was bad. That's the we. God has brought hater one and hater two to become lovers of each other. You remember the story I told you about you standing outside the king's palace and the scepter was extended to you and now you may enter because of the prosagoge. goge? You have access? Well, think about this. You go inside, now you're inside. The gardens, right outside the palace, enjoying the fountains, inside the fence. You look at all the beggars outside the fence, and all of a sudden, the king's representative raises the scepter for somebody else outside. You can't believe it. They are dirty and they are filthy. They are so unlike you. They speak, my, for heaven's sake, a different language. And you wonder, why in the world are they invited in? For the same reason that you're invited in, the only reason that both of you, the only thing that both of you bring to the king is need. Jesus Christ shed his blood, not only to build a bridge for you to get to heaven, he built a bridge wide enough for people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue and every culture, every race, to walk on that bridge together into the city of God. Nothing brings God more glory than when we are hand in hand walking on the bridge of Christ to the city of God. That's where He's really glorified. Look at the unity that God intends for His people to experience. Consequently, verse 19, You were no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. No longer foreigners. You can relate to that word. But if you can't, imagine this. You are a child, displaced by war, family killed, no father and mother, no family. You're 15. You're a refugee. You're on the run. You don't belong to that land. You don't belong to that land. And all of a sudden, you get word that a country has opened up its borders to you, and inside that country, a family has opened up its house to you. You're no longer a refugee, no longer a foreigner. You have a country, and you have a family. That is what God intends His church to be we display our love for the gospel by intentionally cultivating diversity or as brian chapel says it the power of god is poured through us as we bond together in our differences Speaking of intentionality, we have an opportunity um, to experience great God-glorifying unity um, at the end of this month. I'll tell you about it in just a minute, but I want to tell you about something first make sure that we all come together rightly to experiencing God glorifying unity through diversity. Because there are reasons, poor motives, to come together in unity. There are bad bad motives for unity. Wrong reasons for relationship building. Number one, guilt. I'm going to come and establish an intentional relationship with somebody that's opposite my race, my culture, because I just don't want to feel guilty anymore. I'm tired of this guilt. Bad. Second bad motive is political correctness. That society says we all ought to get along, and somebody wrote a song about we're the world, and we ought, we ought to be the world. So, so, and, or third bad motive is being admired. Oh, my motive is for people to see me, see me loving somebody that's different than me. Bad motives. The only right motive is you want to have a friendship with somebody new. That's your motive. I want to be your friend. Because anything else turns into a project. I just want to be your friend. You're so different than me, can we be friends? And Christ would be a friend. Again, Brian Chapel says, There are treasures of God I will not discover, until I am in union with brothers and sisters quite different than I. If you go in my desk, uh, my office here uh, at the end of the hall, you'll see on my desk, uh, for years it was on my desk at home, it's on my desk here now, but it's a, it's a bowl full of rocks. See, I just spoke to Derek Before church started, Derek loves rocks. Derek, you love rocks? Yep. (laughs) Derek and I both love smooth rocks, just love to feel them. But I love these rocks because of all the colors. Derek will see those colors one day because of Jesus. I see those colors now. But they're on my desk to remind me That bowl is a lot more beautiful because it's filled with many colors of rocks. The church is a lot more beautiful when God brings many colors, many cultures, many races, many backgrounds under one roof to worship one Christ. Let me tell you what it means that you're not going to know what it means to cherish Christ until you do it with somebody who's a lot different than you. That's huge. You've you got to believe that. You're, you're not going to know what it means to cherish Christ until you cherish Him with somebody a lot different than you. When I go to India, I could say this about a lot of, but I just this is so real to me right now. When I go to India and I worship in a church surrounded by Indians, former Hindus, now believers, I don't really know what it means to love Jesus fully until I watch them and worship with them with people who are so poor and so persecuted and this costs them so much and they gain nothing from it materially but probably lose. And when I watch them worship, it is then when I realize how worthy he is to worship him for no reason but himself. I can't learn that from you because you have too much money. It's easy for you to worship, and I would feel really bad for you if you ever think this is a sacrifice. And We don't need to feel guilty about it. It doesn't cost us a lot because right now God says, I want it to cost you money, build a building, give the rest to missions, love the city, that's what it's going to cost you. Work on being intentional with friendships with people who are so different than you and socioeconomically, racially, be intentional. And invite them. This is how hard it is. Invite them to lunch. Invite somebody so different from you to lunch today. Two hours. Former friendship. Coworker that you just naturally, because of the differences, you're not normally, you don't normally do coffee with them. Do coffee with them. Just think intentional for the purpose of friendship, not project. Invite them over to your house. Invite somebody new to your house. Invite somebody new to your house. Now, for our our gift of opportunity at the end of this month, we don't normally do trunk or treat here at Hope Point, but we are this year. Because Walter Belton, who's the pastor of Word of Change Ministries, and his African American congregation has asked, since our parking lot is so ultra cool, <sighs> during the week you can come watch Brian Bentley on his motorized skateboard come across our parking lot. It's a cool skateboard. We're going to come together from six to eight on October thirty-first with their church. Eating, loving, and offering the, the gift of trunk or treat in a very safe place here in the city. Here. I've already ordered my costume. I'm dressing up as Hunter. It's great. I've got a flannel shirt and a hair bun. I'm going to be Hunter. Please come. October 31st. It's going to be unbelievable. So now let's look at the third metaphor that Paul uses. If you haven't sort of sometimes poured outlines, he's already compared us to citizens in a new country, children in a new family. Now we're building blocks in a new temple. Third metaphor. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household. You see the two metaphors there. Number three, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And in him, here's the third metaphor, temple, is being joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And you're a building block, a little stone inside this huge temple that God Has been erecting for 21 centuries and really before from Genesis 1. But as you can see in verse 20, there are two important aspects of God's building project there's a foundation. I know we got construction guys here. There's a foundation and a cornerstone. And for those of you who are type A and getting all messed up with this, it's okay. You can't help it. Paul refers here to Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. Yet in the book of First Corinthians, he refers to Jesus as the foundation. Just to let you know, Paul is not mixed up when he's mixing metaphors. He has no problem with that. He mixes metaphors when he wants to make a new point. That can't be made by the previous metaphor. This is what he wants to say by now calling Christ the cornerstone instead of directly calling him the foundation. When building a building in ancient times, the cornerstone was, you know, was the chief stone that would be at the corner of a building, and all of the rest of the stones that made up the foundation had to be perfectly aligned with that cornerstone, or the building would be at a square. wouldn't stand. So the most important stone was the cornerstone, but it was also part of the foundation. But it was still the most important stone. When Jerusalem was excavated um, um, by Armitage Robinson, he found one stone that was part of the temple. That one stone alone was thirty-nine feet long. One stone. So there are big bad stones and the history of building. Look at the pyramids. But there's one stone that's more important than all others, and it's the cornerstone. And that's why God says, when he looks down at the world and looks down at history, and he says, I choose only one man to be the savior of the world. And Unless you are rightly related to him, you will not be rightly related to me. And that's why Jesus Christ in Scripture is called the cornerstone. Every person in the world that wants to be part of God's temple must be connected to that cornerstone. So you say, well then, okay, good. Good explanation. Thank you. All right, so then you say, but why does Paul say then that the apostles are the foundation? Since he said in Corinthians that Jesus was the foundation. Because he's saying that because, he says, apostles and prophets are the foundation. Well, all of the writings of the apostles looked forward to Christ. All of the apostles looked backwards to Christ. But everything that a prophet or apostle has ever said pointed to Jesus Christ. That's why they get to serve as the foundation. Their words are pointing to the cornerstone. Jesus. So I just want to remind you that you you cannot have a religious institution that is pleasing to God unless the documents, the writings that are taught there are the prophets and the apostles of the Holy Scripture pointing to Jesus Christ, those are the documents that found everything that's being built that pleases God in the world. You just need to understand, the documents are as important as the person because they point to the person. And when we started the church 17 years ago, The only thing I told those seven families and then 60 people later, we're the only thing that ever pleases God to grow a church is by way of the Holy Spirit blessing biblical teaching. That's it. Anything else is false. No matter how good it looks, my job is to use the scriptures to hold up Jesus Christ as a diamond and every week just to turn through the scriptures so that you see a different side of him shining. Everything depends on the Scriptures being taught and your faith being grounded in the Scriptures as the Scriptures are leading you to Christ. R.C. Sproul says it this way, I think the greatest weakness in the church today is that almost no one believes that God invests His power in the Bible. Everyone is looking for power in a program, in a methodology, in a technique, in anything and everything but that in which God has placed it, His Word. He alone has the power to change lives for eternity. And that power is focused on the scriptures. If you're new here, you're going to ask the same question that people have asked us for 17 years. Why, y'all, why do y'all not have a lot of programs? This is the program. The Word. I just don't want you, I don't want you to join for any other reason than you love Him through the teaching that points to Jesus, there's just no other way to build it. In Dubai, you find the Burj Khalifa. It's the tallest building in the world, 2,716 feet. It's a half mile high. You could put two Empire State Buildings on top of each other. It's taller. If you were to board an elevator at the bottom and go 40 miles an hour, it still takes you two minutes to get to the top. And when you look at that building right there, you're probably asking two questions. Number one, have I ever seen Tom Cruise on the side of that building? (laughs) That answer is yes. Because you can't be Ethan the Hunt and pick any other impossible mission and not climb the Burj Khalifa. The second question you're probably asking is, is that thing built on a good foundation? I talked to somebody at the end of first service, Bob Brantley, who said, by God's grace, he's had the opportunity to travel to Dubai and go to the top of that building. He said, when you're up top, you're you're really very interested in what is this thing standing on? <laughs> Here's the foundation of the Burj Khalifa. It's standing on, on 12 feet thick, a pad, huge pad of concrete. May not impress you what how about this? It has 192 steel shafts, 5 feet in diameter, 192, going through the 12 feet of concrete, descending 164 feet into the ground. So let me ask you a question now. Is anybody on the 30th floor, the 100th floor, whatever, is there any way right now somebody say, I think we're going to change now the foundation of the Burj Khalifa? Too late. That decision's already been made. When Jesus Christ left heaven, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, and gave his life on the cross and rose from the dead three days after his, when he was placed in the grave, it was then and before then that God said, there will never be another foundation upon which I do my great work of saving people and bringing them to heaven. No tampering with the foundation." There are no other words that show a man how to get to heaven than the New Testament writings and the Old Testament prophets that point to the foundation of Christ. Cannot tamper with Christ or the scriptures that speak of Him. So this is what I want to tell all of you seniors in high school or present college students. Why would you be surprised when you go to college that somebody's trying to mess around with your foundation? It's been happening from the beginning of time. Jesus said it would happen. Matthew 21, 42, quoting the Old Testament, Psalm, Psalm 110, a messianic psalm, written 700 years before Christ even came. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected? That's the stone that God accepted. So when you go to college, of course people are going to challenge the New Testament, the Old Testament. They're going to challenge everything that points to Christ. have been doing it for years. And I'm just like, I want to tell people, stop being surprised. Weakling? I and mean, there is no surprise. It's been going on forever. Stop doubting Him. What more can He do to leave heaven? Live perfectly the life that you didn't. Die on a cross. Rise from the dead. Yes, we will fail. Yes, we will fall. But how in the world can we doubt this beautiful foundation of Jesus Stop being intimidated by the world when they tell you the Bible's not true. You know it's true. It helped you meet Jesus. And if you've met Jesus, how can you unmeet him? And stop deserting him. When the campuses, the universities, the teachers, your colleagues at work, writers, media, Say there's another way. There's another foundation. Christ was crucified by the plan of God. Christ was resurrected by the power of God. He ascended to heaven to show the triumph of God. And he's praying for you even now because you belong to the part of the people of God. It is the foundation of... Of Jesus Christ. That all of this week. You've been riding on that foundation in your cars. You went to restaurants that were founded on. Restaurants on Christ. You're going to live and work and play. And one day. You're going to die. And it's going to be okay because you're on the foundation of Christ. Christ. One of our members from the first service is going to make a, is probably going to watch his mother enter heaven this afternoon because there is no more medical hope. And she's going straight to heaven because her life is on the foundation of Jesus Christ. No one's ever moving the foundation of the Burj Khalifa, the building, 500,000 tons. Is on that. Not gonna, there's no new foundation for that building. God is never going to offer a new foundation for this world to build their life on. And anybody who says in their weakness, and in their sinfulness, and in their struggles, in their shame, Anybody who just lays on the foundation of Jesus Christ, you will never be moved. You will make it to heaven because you are resting on the foundation of the eternal Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today knowing of the battle. Light and dark, evil and righteousness, mocking, doubting, the beauty of your foundation poured out at Calvary. But I thank you, Lord, from age 9 now to 58, like a child, you've let me run. When I lived in South Carolina, when I lived in Texas, Georgia, here, run across the beautiful foundation of Jesus. He has been secure for me. I have tripped on the foundation. I have stumbled, been bloodied, and been ashamed on the foundation. But I've never fallen off the foundation. Jesus, you have been holding me up. This very day, October 13th, 2019, I'm preaching not on a stage. I'm standing on the foundation of Christ. Jesus, thank you for holding us. Thank you today for gathering us together on your foundation. We can sing on your foundation. We could pray. We can weep. We can do trunk or treat on your foundation can love, we can give, we can sorrow, we can rejoice on your foundation, increase our faith in Jesus, and increase our desire to reach out with friendship intentionality and love new people, new brothers, new sisters on the bridge, all the way to the city of God. Oh, Jesus, thank you for the city. Thank you for the highway of holiness, paved with your blood. And thank you that one today will arrive in that city because of you. You are our peace. It's in your name I pray. Amen.